The Poltergeist by Jack Proletsky Something strange is flitting through your hair, but when you try to find it, nothing's there. You know, though, when it gives your cheek a bite, a poltergeist is in your house tonight. Your rocking chair is rocking by itself, and all your books have tumbled from the shelf, and something keeps on flicking out the light. A poltergeist is in your house tonight. The chandelier has shattered on the floor, and things unseen are rapping on the door. And when you look, no creature meets your sight. A poltergeist is in your house tonight. Within the kitchen, cups and saucers shake, and there before your eyes the windows break. And when it laughs, you scream with all your might. A poltergeist is in your house tonight. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Ph.D. Paranormal. Hello, and welcome to Ph.D. Paranormal. We're a pair of exhausted Ph.D.s. We'll talk about the non-exhaust... non... See, I told you, we're exhausted. <laughs> the non-exhaustive? Well, we will talk about the non-exhausted ghosts who are haunting your houses. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I'm so sorry. You're fine. I'm Dr. Edwin. And I'm Dr. Evan. And we are here to entertain you. <laughs> um, hi, and welcome. And welcome. Uh, so, so how are you doing? Today has been a long day. We are uh, obviously very behind in podcast production. I blame our interns who have just not been showing up to work lately. Um, they too are ghosts because they're not doing anything. I thought the demon in the corner was one of the interns. No, he is a cruel supervisor. Oh, okay. <laughs> it just makes our lives miserable. It's the semester. We're busy. Um, Dr. Ed has taken on administrative duties um, very, very uh, kindly. But they no. take a lot of his time. Dr. Evan is very busy and important all the time. So basically, we have a podcast sitting in um, on my very crowded, uh, what do you call that thing, desktop <laughs> on my computer that needs to be edited. And we're recording another one, which will sit for another week to be edited. And on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. Because so, I had something to do on Sunday. Yes. And uh, I had nothing to do, and then I had something to do. It's fine. We got it. It's much to do about nothing. Sure. Yes. So... Let us move forward. Let's talk about ghosts and updates and things like that. Um, so I don't really have any spooky updates. Nothing spooky. Other than I've watched some spooky films, but yes. Yes. it's almost time for 31 Days of Horror. Yes, and 31 Days of Evil mm-hmm. on the Facebooks. I did watch two spooky movies. <gasps> they included watch? Hocus Pocus, the original, and no. My Mom is Dating a Vampire. Okay, both of those are delightful. Well, I, I don't think I've seen My Mom is Dating a Vampire. It's delightful. It's Carolyn Ray or Rhea, however you say her name. Ray, I think. Yeah. Um, she sings rockabilly music. It's fun. Well, and she is, uh, what I know her most from is she was one of the aunts on Sabrina the Teenage Witch. She was uh, Hilda. No. Zelda. She was Zelda, I think. Yes. I don't know. They all look alike. Um, very funny comic. Yes, it was very good. But I do have um, one small update, and I was reflecting on this because this has been slightly more prominent, and I think it's just from sleep de- deprivation and not from anything else. But you remember our conversation with Marianne, the mm-hmm. psychic. And remember what she kept saying? Corner of your eye. Corner of your eye. Mm-hmm. I have actually started to see little like glimpses of things in the corner of my eye. Like, I'll be doing dishes, and I'll be like, what was that? Right, And I literally will do that. Have you gone to the eye doctor recently? I have not, and my eyes are very stressed out from staring at screens all day. This one's actually a little tweaky right now. Oh. But um, 
Who knows? Maybe the demon is trying to manifest as it continues to oppress me and make my life difficult and miserable. I'm sorry. That is okay. So that is my update, um, such as it is. Well, my update is that I watched a TikTok that is relevant to us. All right. I'm going to play it first because TikTok is a little obnoxious in that it just kind of starts. Right. So I'm going to provide the username of this person. Right. We're just going to listen. Right. I could not verify that this is real, but it still made me laugh. Okay. So hopefully we'll have a little bit of humor. All right. basement apartment in Toronto, and bear in mind, it's reduced because it's haunted. And to be fair, this place doesn't look too bad. Like, it's fully finished, you got tiles, you got some, like, panels, that's okay. But there's a few red flags in this description, you know, fully furnished, downtown Toronto basement apartment, a historic building, price reduced due to periodic screaming poltergeists. Historic building, I mean, like, it happens, I guess. Washer and dryer included, but I can see them right there. Six foot ceilings, that's a little short for me. I'm over six feet, but apparently you uh, get some more headroom with the ceilings when they breathe. <laughs> Utilities included, we got cable, we got internet, we got water. If the taps run red with blood, just use the ancient talisman next to the sink to banish the dam from the plumbing. No smoking, as we believe the apparition perished in a fire 63 years ago when smoke appears to summon his haunting cries for mercy, which wake up our baby. And, you know, if the landlord has a baby, that's kind of a pain. Dogs, okay, but fair warning, they may temporarily become possessed, wake you in the middle of the night and say in a clear English voice that he's coming. So with all of that in mind, all of those red flags, how much do you think it's going to be? Boom. 2300 a month. Fucking crazy. So the TikTok's name is Aaron, A-A-R-O-N-H-M. That's called a creator, for those of you who don't know. Okay. Sure. Um, and so he has what looks like a Craigslist ad. Um, and it's pretty funny. So if you have time to go look at the full thing, it's pretty amusing. I did do some Googling to see if I could find if it were an actual ad. Um, but still, I just I heard the word poltergeist and thought, Dr. Ed. Yes. And also $2,300. $2,300 a month. For a, it was 700 square feet. Hey, that's a, not a bad size apartment. Downtown Toronto. What city? Toronto, right? The Torontoans will get mad at you for pronouncing these. They can learn to redirect their hate to the right places. <laughs> but that just made me laugh. Um, and also the talisman and the dog speaking in a British voice. The talisman? Talisman. 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 Oh, my goodness gracious. It's Correction <laughs> City here, folks. Oh, who cares? It's Ouija board, not Ouija. It's total Ouija, but that's okay, too. We'll talk about that later. But... The reason why this made me laugh and felt very apropos last night is because we're talking about poltergeists again. They're here. So we are going to be talking about um, these new, not new subjects, of poltergeists. But of course, because all you dedicated listeners have probably forgotten that we talked about this because you listen and then you move on with your life. But thank you so much for listening. We've also been here for four seasons. Four long seasons. Yes, that's what my classes felt like today. Four <laughs> long seasons. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about what a poltergeist is, in case you don't know. A poltergeist is not a poltergeist. Polt- a poltergeist? Man, I totally f- failed to launch I on that one. I have been being silly and saying it's a poltergeist. Poltergeist. But when I say it that way, I don't emphasize the T, so it sounds like we're talking about poltergeist, which might be the most terrifying thought on the planet. Yes. Oh, no. If it were a poltergeist. <laughs> 
octopus, a polter octopus, okay. a polter, a, um, a, 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 a polter octopus. What would it be, Ed? Um. A, a poltwid. <laughs> For a polter squid. A poltrocephalopod? I can't even say it. Yeah, I mean, it's a cephalopods that terrify me. Cephalopod. Yeah. So a polter. It doesn't. It doesn't, doesn't roll, roll off, off the, the tongue. tongue. <laughs> um, they I, say. And now I'm also curious what the Germans, because poltergeist is a German word. Yes, it does. Um, it means rumbling ghost. Octopus in German. Ooh, we're doing some real live Rosetta Stone learning here, folks. <laughs> it is. Hold on, you're gonna be shocked. Hold on. Octopus. <laughs> it's octopus. octopus. <laughs> Oh, 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 but you can also say der Kraka. Der Kraka? Der Kraka, like the Kraken. Oh, or Polter Kraka sounds better. Um, or, the, or der Tintenfish. Okay, slow your roll there, Helmut Polter Tintin, <laughs> Polter Tintinfish. I don't know. We're we losing our mind. Yes, we have lost track of the thread of this intense conversation. conversation. Boy, I'm really struggling today. <laughs> So what is a poltergeist? Well, in ghost lore, a poltergeist is known as a rumbling ghost or a noisy ghost. And it's a type of ghost or spirit that is responsible for physical disturbances, in particular loud noises oh, and objects being moved or destroyed like that. That's real sound effects. Nothing even warped in. We are, we are very lucky that um, my cursing did not appear. <laughs> So most claims of poltergeist guys show them as being capable of pinching, biting, hitting, tripping people. They're also depicted as capable of the movement or levitation of objects such as furniture, cutlery, or noises such as knocking on doors. Foul smells, which are often associated with poltergeist occurrences, as well as things like spontaneous fires and different electrical issues such as flickering lights. Um, so speaking of, I was talking to one of the moth mistresses earlier today. No, yes. And she asked a question, which is, what makes a poltergeist different from just a silly little ghost? Ah, well, that I can tell you. Yes. What makes a poltergeist different is that even though regular silly old ghosts are sometimes troublesome, poltergeists are traditionally spirits who haunt a particular person. Mm -hmm. And they are tied to a particular individual instead of a specific location. Because there are debates over whether it is an actual spirit or somehow a phenomenon. Right. So there has been a lot of variation of poltergeist folklore. Uh, this goes back many different centuries across different cultures. Um, but the early claims are that they're these spirits that harass and torment their victims. And they date all the way back to the first century. But references to poltergeists became much more common in the early 17th century, which, for those of you keeping up, is the 1600s, because that's how that works. It doesn't mm -hmm. make any sense, but screw it that. It makes perfect sense. So there are a couple of parapsychologists, Nandor Fodor and William G. Roll, who suggested that poltergeist activity can actually be explained, not through spirits, but by psychokinesis. And put a pin in Nandor, because Nandor's going to reappear. Oh, Ooh, how exciting. So, historically, these actual malicious spirits were blamed for apparent poltergeist-type activity, objects moving of their own accord, for example. So, according to Alec, uh, Alan Kardec, who is the founder of Spiritism, poltergeists are manifestations of disembodied spirits of low level that belong to the sixth class of the third order. <laughs> Under this explanation, they are believed to be closely associated with the elements, fire, air, water, and earth. 
In Finland, somewhat famous are the case of the Makaila ghost, which I tried to find, but I couldn't find much on it. The what ghost? Makaila, it's in Finnish. M-A-U-M-L-A-T, K-K-Y-L-A-U-M-L-A-T. Okay. Um, ghost in 1946, which actually received some attention in the press at the time. And then the Devils of Martin, okay, which is also in Finland, uh, which took place in the late 19th century. And there are actually affidavits about this obtained in court. Oh, wow. Um, so... What's particularly interesting to me is that psychoanalyst Carl Gustav Jung, who I've actually done some work not with because he's dead, and I don't do psychoanalysts, but in my undergrad, my master's degree training in public administration, one of our people had a particular um, fixation on Jung's work and how it influenced how we run organizations. Uh, but he was particularly interested in the concept of poltergeist and the occult in general. He actually believed that um, his female cousin went into a trance and it was her trance states that were responsible for a dining room table actually splitting in two, Ooh. okay? Um, during a meeting with the none other than Sigmund Freud, in mm-hmm. fact. Yeah. Um, and that happened in 1909. And then he also correctly predicted then that there would be a second sound, speculating that these phenomena were caused by what he called the exteriorization of the subconscious mind. Freud disagreed. He probably said it was about a penis. And he concluded that there was some natural cause. Um, Freud's biographers maintain that the sounds are likely caused by the wood of the bookcase contracting as it dried out. Mm-hmm. So that's the story. So anyway, what are poltergeists? Noisy, obnoxious spirits, slash ghosts, slash maybe psychokinesis. Who knows? We don't know. No, but um, some of these ideas are going to come back, at least in the tale I'm going to tell. Awesome. But I think you have a, a short and fun little tale for us. Well, it's not fun. But I have a very short tale. It should be fun. I wish it was fun, but alas, no. Well, now I'm sad. You will be sad. So this is an infamous but true, apparently, poltergeist story that came out of a place called Yaboticabo, Brazil. I'm probably mispronouncing that horribly, but that's what it looks like. I don't speak Portuguese, so we'll just have to roll with it. Um, and this is a poltergeist story that surrounds a young woman named Maria. Mm-hmm. And Maria was actually subject to an ongoing poltergeist attack. Oh. Um, rocks and stones were constantly thrown at her. And on many occasions, the rocks were actually of great weight, up to nearly nine kilograms. Um, so nine kilograms is how much? I don't know. We'll wait for the internet to tell us. Sing your Jeopardy song. <laughs> do, 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 I don't know. Nine kilos is almost 20 pounds. That is a lot. That is a big rock. A big rock. 19.842 pounds. It's a big rock to be chucked at someone's head. Um, these rocks were also magnetic in nature and had other odd properties, apparently. Now, soon, the rocks stopped being thrown around. Yay, poltergeist for being kind and forgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, but then furniture was thrown around instead. So they moved from big rocks to big furniture. And Maria was also physically attacked and very viciously so. Uh, she was slapped, bitten, beaten, and more. She even had needles inserted into her skin by an unseen entity, embedded so deep within the skin that they had to be removed by a doctor. The poltergeist tried to suffer her in her sleep, and her clothing even suffocate her her in her sleep, and her clothing even caught fire through spontaneous combustion. 
Eventually, after Maria went to see a medium, it was found that she was subject to these attacks because of her actions in a previous life. And it was thought that Maria had been a witch in a previous life, but a bad witch. And she was being attacked by a spirit that she had tormented in her previous life. Now, before you chortle, because no. she has her chortle face on. I do only because you said that, and all of a sudden I was like, are you a good witch or a bad witch? Yes, she was a bad witch. Um, Maria actually sadly committed suicide oh, no. at the age of 16, oh. and it put an end to all the activity. Oh. So that is an initial story of kind of what poltergeists do. They can really mess your life up if all of this is true. And according to the internet, this is a true poltergeist story. Now, again, I didn't have time to spend a lot of time corroborating this story through other sources, which is what all good paranormal researchers would do. But we will have to get out a Ouija board, and we'll have a seance, and we'll communicate with Maria of Jaboticabal. Jaboticabal. We don't speak Portuguese. I know. Well, maybe she spoke English. I, I it is the language of business. <laughs> business. I don't know if a 16-year-old girl from Brazil. Yeah. What year was this? 1960s. Okay. I, I, I sincerely doubt that she spoke English, but no, you never know. You never know. Yeah. You never know. So anyway, that's our first story. And um, it's very short, but it does show um, some of the extreme violence that people who claim they're being attacked by poltergeists will endure. I am particularly disturbed by needles being inserted into her skin. Yeah. Because um, I'm assuming they're not hypodermics. They are probably like sewing needles and things like that. I don't know. Which is awful. Eek. Awful. But unless she has splinters. Then that would be good. Maybe she had splinters from the furniture, and they're inserting the needles to get the splinters out. I, I don't know. Let's lean into kindness. But there is kind of an interesting segue here, because what's fascinating to me, at least, is that a lot of stories about poltergeists do somehow intersect with issues of mental health. Yes. And the story that we're going to turn to now, mm -hmm. in some accounts, does have to do with mental health. Okay. So, we're going back. Back in time. If I could turn back time. And I love me some share. Yes. But we're going back to February of 1938. Okay. We are heading to Croydon. Croydon. That's which is in, in England. In England. Where in England is that located? Um, uh, is that the wrong question to ask? Uh, <laughs> Please sing the Jeopardy song. <laughs> Croydon. Croydon? Is, um, Croydon. Is south of London. Okay. But it's sort of like in an outer... So it's kind of like a suburb of yeah. London. Yes. Um, specifically, they are in an area called Thornton Heath. Thornton Heath. So you might sometimes see them talk about the Thornton Heath poltergeist. Okay. But what happened is that on Sunday, February 13th, Alma Fielding, a 34-year-old housewife, um, was living with her husband, her son, and a gentleman who was renting a room. On the night of February 13th, Alma claimed that she was all of a sudden hit by a pain in her pelvis while she was visiting friends in the neighborhood. Um, she went, ran home and she said that at the time she was trembling and shaking and she just figured that she had an infection because unfortunately Alma had some pretty significant kidney issues mm -hmm. and basically like her doctor constantly had like a stock of antibiotics for her, right? Because you can tell when you're getting the infection and also some sedatives. So she went home, she took her antibiotics, she took her sedatives, and went to bed. And she talked about how while she was in bed, she was shivering and sweating. Um, well, we've all been there. 
Yeah. And at the time, England was hitting, or, you know, this part of England had a massive rain, sleet, and snowstorm. And it was traveling, according to meteorologists, at 80 miles per hour. So this was a very fast-moving storm. She was laid up for a few days, trying to recover, just in pain and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. In the middle of the week, her husband, whose name was Leslie but went by Liss, who worked as a builder and a decorator, came to join her in bed. And he had his own complaints. His gums had started to bleed heavily, in large part because he had had some teeth pulled because he was getting fitted for dentures. Okay. And it's um, a very uncomfortable process. So through Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, Les and Alma just spent some time in bed, recuperating and recovering. And as they were doing that, they started to see frost appearing. And this will be relevant, I promise. It was getting really cold. Frost was appearing. And though the storm ended up dying down, the air was, as this writer says, wintry and sharp. And Alma looked up and noticed that there was a strange six-fingered handprint on the mirror above the bedroom fireplace. But Alma kind of chalked this up to that she had a fever and she was on sedatives and so probably it was just something weird. But all of a sudden, the house seemed to be under siege. Towards midnight on Friday, Alma and Les were trying to sleep when they heard something shatter. So Alma leaned over, turned on her bedside lamp, and she and Les saw the shards of a broken glass on the floor, and then suddenly another glass flew past and splintered against the wall. They waited, the room fell quiet, and Les said, turn out the light, let's see what happens. Which feels like a very, um... I mean, it's a bold move. It feels like it's almost like, I don't know why this happened, but I'm sleepy. Yeah. Can't be bothered. Mm. Well, Alma turned the light off, and a wind ended up coming through the room, lifting the, I learned a word, it lifted their eider down. E-I-D-E-R-D-O-N. W-N, sorry. So that's probably like a comforter? It's a duvet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just, I'd never heard eider down. Eider down is a specific kind of feather. Oh, okay. There mm. you go. Um, and basically what happened is the wind lifted up their duvet. Wait, time. Yeah. I made all the connections. Oh. Okay. All at once. All right. Down. Geese. Oh. <gasps> Poultry geese. Oh, no. <laughs> That's it. That's it. We know what happened. We know Canada geese. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, the eider down, duvet, whatever, basically flew up and landed on their faces. So it kind of like blew it up. And Les said, turn on the light. To which I have to say, Les, man, just leave the light. She Where's... went to turn on the lamp, but it didn't turn on. Um, he ran, uh, Les leaned over to his lamp to try and turn it on, and it wouldn't turn on. And so Alma started shouting for help. Their 16-year-old son, Donald, ran into their bedroom. As he opened the door, though, he had to duck a flying pot of face cream. So, you know, like the cream that yeah. she applies on her face at night came flying at them. George, who was the lodger, also came running into the room because he heard her calling for help. And he was smacked in the head by two coins, a shilling and a penny. Okay. The two of them let you know left the bedroom, and Don hurried down the stairs. He went to go get some matches so they could light some candles. When he returned, he struck the match. He made his way by flame to the lamp at his mother's bedside, and the bulb was gone. All right. So it didn't work because there was no light bulb. It was found unbroken and still hot to the touch on a chair on the other side of the room. 
everyone was pretty freaked out. But after a half hour, everything seemed to calm down. And at about 12.40, Don and George went back to bed. Everyone fell asleep. The next morning, Alma finally felt good enough to, like, walk around the house. Um, she went downstairs, but an egg smashed when she was in the kitchen. So Just, she's, like, do we know where the egg was? No, but um, Brits don't refrigerate their eggs. Right. So I'm assuming somewhere on the counter. Just in a bowl? I don't know. It, doesn't, it mm. wasn't clear. Mm. Um, then a, she heard a saucer snap. Like, so like a tea saucer. Right. And so she didn't know what to do. And she basically said, well, what are the police going to do? So she called the offices of the Sunday Pictorial. Okay. Which was a newspaper. Okay. The newspaper actually was running a series on the supernatural. Well, that is a crazy random happenstance. <laughs> and she invited, and had invited readers to basically like say, talk about their experiences. Sure. So she wrote, come to my house. There are things going on here I cannot explain. And the Sunday pick, as it was known, sent two reporters. Alma opened the door, and the two reporters said that they saw an egg fly down the cor- corridor and Came land with eight the yards. Eggs. I know. Came with the eggs. From her, their feet, she led them to a kitchen, and at that point, a pink china dog rattled to the floor, so like a knickknack, and a sharp-bladed tin opener cut through the air at head height, so basically flew at them. Then in the front parlor, a teacup and saucer lifted out of Alma's hands as she sat with her guests. The saucer spun, splintered, as if somebody shot it in midair. So it just, like, blew up. She screamed as a second saucer exploded in her fingers, so she grabbed another one. It cut her thumb. Um, Of course, the reporters are freaking out, so they help her get her finger bandaged. And the reporters then heard smashing in the kitchen. A wine glass had escaped a locked cabinet, shattering on the floor. I'm sorry, eggs are going to happen again. Uh, they then saw an egg whirl in through the living room door to crack against the sideboard, and then a giant chunk of coal ended up moving from the grate, sailed across the room, inches from the head of one of the reporters, and smacked into the wall. Okay, for the record, Poltergeist, if you're listening, if you're going to throw a chunk of coal, don't miss. Get good or get wrecked. Well, but maybe they were just trying to make a warning. I don't know. They've been chucking eggs for like the last 12 hours. How much warning do you need? Now, it's important to note that at the time in the house are Alma, Les, the husband, Don the son, and George the lodger. Okay. But as far as the two journals could tell, none of them had done anything. The objects were clearly to them propelled by an unseen force. And actually, a crowd had gathered outside of the house in Croydon. Um, and among them was a guy named Professor Morrisone. Oh, Professor. Also known as Mr. Morrison. Ah. Um, and in, Right? He was an alleged palm breeder and clairvoyant. And he was asked inside the home. The clairvoyant advised Alma that she was a strong, quote-unquote, carrier of ectoplasm. Now, if you know much about spiritualism, which we've kind of talked about before, ectoplasm was this idea that especially certain kinds of psychics could bring forth. It's ghost dues, people. Ghost dues. It is ghost dues. And it is gross. Um, And he said that um, all this activity was a sign that her and her son were in danger. Oh. I don't know why Les and George aren't in danger, but... Hey... The ghost dudes wants what it wants. <laughs> the pick then published the piece the next morning under the slogan, quote, 
This is the most curious front page story we have ever printed. Wow. It says, in the ordinary terrace in Thornton Heath, some malevolent, ghostly force is working miracles. Poltergeist, that's what the scientists call it. Spiritualists, they say it's all caused by a mischievous earthbound spirit. Now, what's really fascinating and what ties into something you said earlier is that um, a certain in individual named Nandor Fedor, ah, good old Nandor, um, was really interested in what was happening. He had seen the Sunday pick, and he was the principal ghost investigator for the International Institute for Psychical Research. Yes. And Nandor is a really interesting guy. He was a immigrant from Hungary, right? A Jewish Hungarian immigrant. And he had, once he moved to London, had become very involved in, as this writer put the quote, 30s supernatural scene. He was part of the Ghost Club. He was part of the London Spiritualist Alliance. He was not a member of, but friendly with the Fairy Investigation Society. Oh, oh, don't like that. <laughs> and he contributed articles to a spiritualist magazine called Light. And something to remember is that spiritualism in Europe in particular was still very popular. Mm -hmm. um, for example, one of the adherents was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes, he too saw fairies. Well, he didn't. But he said that spiritualism, quote, offers something tremendous. A breaking down of the walls between two worlds. A call of hope and of guidance to the human race at the time of its deepest affliction. But wasn't he the one who said that the pictures were of fairies? Didn't he buy into that scam? Did he? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I okay. believe that was a big deal. That there were these pictures that were supposedly taken of fairies. He's like, this is proof. This is 100% real. Oh. Way to go, Sherlock. Doyle. <laughs> and you have to remember that the 1930s in Europe, it, it's just, it's a tough time. Right? You've had the, you've had World War One. You've had the um, 1918 influenza epidemic. Get and over it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and fascism was on the rise. All right, I'll give you fascism. <laughs> <laughs> and Fodor, I don't really know Fodor or Fodor, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, Fodor. Fodor. I don't know. Uh, I, it's F O D O R. Um, was very interested in the work of Sigmund Freud. Mm, yeah. And he was becoming increasingly skeptical about spiritualism. Because he believed that super normal, supernatural, whatever word you want to use, was not caused by the dead, but by the unconscious minds of the living. Fair. And so he thought, Alma, perfect subject. Okay. So he ends up actually taking Alma to the International Institute in Kensington. Gosh, I want tenure there. <laughs> he and his colleagues soon saw a diamante brooch materialize out of thin air. Wait, Diamante, that's like a QVC thing, right? Well, um, at the time it would have been like what we would say like cubic zirconia, right. like fake diamonds. Yeah, QVC. So, well, they didn't have QVC. I know, but the parallel in my painfully tortured brain. Okay. She also materialized in thin air an oil lamp, a white mouse, a scarab beetle, and a Javanese sparrow. There was also accounts that she... Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> She pulled a sparrow, like, out of the thin mm -hmm. air, and a brooch, mm -hmm. and a scarab beetle, and a mouse. A brooch. And, like, not that she's grabbing it, it just appears. Yes. So a brooch, an oil lamp, a mouse, a scarab beetle, a Javanese sparrow. Pictures or it didn't happen. 
Also, according to Fedora, she seemed to astrally project herself from Croydon to Kensington and back again, and that she also seemed to be able to be possessed by spirits. And Fodor used every modern method at his disposal. He did voice recorders. He used telephones. He took pictures. Lobotomies? No. <laughs> he took x-rays. He did chemical analyses. He did, you know, he hypnotized her. He did word association tests. He gathered witness statements. He had Alma keep a dream journal. Um, he also laid traps to try and see what was going on. And what he wanted to know is if they were tricks, he wanted to know how. Right. Okay. And he told the Daily Mirror, which is a pretty prominent British magazine, in March of 1938, quote, There is a door which leads from the mind we know to the mind we do not know. Now and again that door is opened. Strange things happen. There are manifestations, queer phenomena, not that kind, and transfigurations. And what he thought was that as the door to the unconscious opened, that a suppressed feeling would escape its human host in material form. He thought that mediums could essentially discharge electromagnetic rays from their fingers or toes, or they could extrude invisible, semi-metallic psychic rods or ectoplasmic threads like cobwebs. And he wrote, quote, there are, it is plain, strange forces about us of which we know practically nothing, just as once we knew nothing of electricity. And what he also noticed is that when weird stuff was happening, Alma seemed to, dis like, not physically disappear, but mentally disappear. What we would now call dissociate. Mm -hmm. So he would see her essentially dissociate. And he had seen that in mediums, but he had also seen that in soldiers dealing with shell shock. Okay. So he was very interested in this process. Right. A very funny occurrence happened when in March of 1939, he arranged a day trip to another city with Alma and four members of the Institute. And what they wanted her to do was to see if the poltergeist could steal a ring from the local Woolworths. <laughs> Hashtag goals. <laughs> so basically what they did is they walked into the store, they looked at a ring, they were examining it, she picked a ring with two stones, looked at it, returned it to the assistant... And she said she didn't want to buy it. The shop girl was very suspicious. Fodor wrote, quote, It looked fishy to her. She followed us. We began to feel uncomfortable. The group... <laughs> Wait, is Fodor Hungarian for freak? <laughs> the group ended up turning past the shop, and all of a sudden, Alma said she heard a rattle in the box she was carrying. He picked up the box, opened it, and found that the ring was inside. What? And he said, quote, My flesh creeped. He said, this experience was la rather alarming. We had committed psychic shoplifting. <laughs> you know how we joke that there are great band names? Psychic shoplifting. <laughs> but here's the thing. Oh my gosh, I'm laughing. What is really funny is that he... I mean, he was absolutely convinced that there wasn't anything supernatural about this. That Alma was somehow manifesting all of this. And that if he could discover what was going on with her, he could figure out how she was doing this. I mean, he brought in magicians, like sleight of hand experts, to see if they could figure out what was going on. Um, at one point, this is a little 
troublesome, but just roll with me here. At one point, there were some accusations that maybe she was hiding trinkets in um, her vagina. Oh. And was somehow... <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but that she was... <laughs> she was... I'm uncomfortable with the whole conversation. Shooting them out via some kind okay, of... Okay, <laughs> I am really uncomfortable where this has gone. It's less that they want to check the shooting out that I find distressing. <laughs> but go ahead. Carry on. Okay. It's pretty clear that some of her things were fraudulent. Um, it seems pretty clear that she had claimed that she was astral projecting, but that it was some kind of scam with George. But it's unclear. I couldn't really get a clear read on how they were doing it. And what do they gain? There was also some um, evidence that perhaps she was having an affair with George, but I couldn't figure out if that was, like, claims by skeptics or if she actually was. I don't know. Fodor actually ends up being kicked out of the Psychical Research Institute. His um, stuff is confiscated by them, all because of his claim that this was not a haunting, that you could get down to the root of this. Right. And he actually was corresponding with Freud, and Freud was... Like saying, like, yes, let's see if we can figure out what the root of her issue is. Release the id. <laughs> now, we actually know roughly the ending of her story. Um, she lived out her life. Her grandson, Barry, remembers her as a, quote, sly, smelly old woman <laughs> who told improbable stories about the glory days of her notoriety. Um, in her retirement bungalow, she lived in Branscombe. She held seances. Um... She would also tend to have lots of bells when a participant remembered that there was a bell with a Woolworths label still on it up her sleeve, which I just find delightful <laughs> that she's stealing um, from all of this. Um, and even Don, who was her son, who in Fodor's account was like deeply traumatized by this, um, was recalled by his son as almost making only a vague mention of once being chased by a flying back scrubbing brush. And basically, she you know she passed away at an older age, um, and until her end, she was engaged in some kind of spiritualist work. For the record, and there's actually a really good book, by the way, called *The Haunting of Alma Fielding*, written by a historian, where they're exploring all this because Nandor is super fascinating. He did this. He also um, there's a fictional funny movie starring Simon Pegg about him, um, but he also um, examined so. Geff the Talking Mongoose. Oh. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Geff the, the Talking, talking Mongoose. <laughs> no, forget Ricky Tikitavi. That means nothing. Kill the children. Which is what Ricky Tik... Well, not, well, what the Nagaina says. Yes, Naga Nagaina, the cobras. If you move. I don't know if it's Naga Nagaina, but I like saying Nagaina better. Yeah. But yes, so don't actually do that. Yes, no. But don't, that's don't the story. kill the children. <laughs> that's the story of Alma Fielding. Wow. And I feel like at some point Nandor might come back. A because I always think of what we do in the shadows. Yes. Um, not that Nandor, but I think he seems like an interesting guy. Might be worth looking more into him. Yeah. Right. And, and I want to know more about Geff the Talking Mongoose. I do too. I will leave that. A because a mongoose just makes me laugh. <gasps> Goose. <laughs> Geese. <laughs> The web of connection has become revealed. We're so, going to tell you who the secret government is next. You can just... It's all coming together. Just wait. 
Just wait, folks. <laughs> you can tell we're so tired. <laughs> all right. Well, that's the story of Alma and Nandor. Well, Alma, Nandor, I'm going to try to one-up you, but I don't think I can, <laughs> especially with Geff the Talking Mongoose. Um, I would like to actually talk about a different poltergeist, which is also in England, and this is a poltergeist that is often referred to as the Black Monk of Pontefract. What's going on in England? They've got all these know. poltergeists and talking mongooses. And... Well, geese are a very big thing. Um, I have a picture of some ghostly geese of Glastonbury. I'll have to show them to you sometimes. Yeah. Can't do anything with swans, so the crown owns all of them. Okay. Um, so along with Borley and the Enfield poltergeist, the Black Monk of Pontefract um, is arguably one of Britain's most famous modern ghost stories. Originally, this was a very small news item, followed on and off by the local papers, firstly by the Pontefract and Castleford Express, and then the Yorkshire Post. But much of the fame is actually down to an author by the name of Colin Wilson, mm -hmm. um, who is a well-known author of works such as The Outsider and The Occult. And he actually traveled to Yorkshire to investigate this, which resulted in Poltergeist, the 1981 book that became a must-read for anyone who was interested in psychical research. Mm -hmm. So the book title is actually pretty cool. It's Colin Wilson, Poltergeist! Exclamation point, <gasps> a Study in Destructive Haunting. Oh. So the setting for this story of robed figures and paranormal activities right in the middle of the Checkerfield estate on the southern edge of Pontefract. So Pontefract is actually in the Midlands, almost North England, somewhere between Sheffield and Leeds, if mm -hmm. you know anything about British geography. I know everything about it. Well, there you go. Checkerfield was built just after World War II, and at the time it was one of the largest council estates in all of Europe. It's a big, big settlement. Um, it's the wrong word. Big, big development. The nondescript Semi-30 East Drive is known as, quote, the most haunted house in Britain and has been called the British Amityville, oh. which some people suggest is a little harsh because many actually believe that this haunting is actually genuine as oh. opposed oh. to the Amityville. Oh, no. Um, I'm sorry, I got my pages all confused. <gasps> How dare. So the story actually starts in 1966, so the 60s seemed to be a very big time mm -hmm. for poltergeisty activities. And the 30s. Yeah. Um, Times of tumult. Yes. Even though, realistically, that's every decade. Yeah, well, every day of our life, right? Oh. So, the Pritchard family moved into the house in 30 East Drive in 1966. The Pritchard family consisted of Jean and Joe and their children, 15-year-old Philip and Diane. Diane was 12 and seemingly the focus for all the paranormal activity that began almost immediately and then continued through the late 1960s and into the 70s. And we should know, we mentioned this last time, but poltergeist activity seems to be most associated with women mm -hmm. and especially like teenage girls. Yes. Um, though not solely, but a lot yeah. of it is associated with Especially um, pre-emerging puberty mm -hmm. is kind of when this stuff seems to manifest. Well, and obviously like Alma's in her 30s right. and everything. Right, she was but... a liar and a fake. <gasps> What? what did her, her grandson say? She said she, she, was, she was a greasy old woman. She's sly and smelly. Well, okay, same thing. That's not the same thing. <laughs> so, at 30 East Drive, all the classic poltergeist phenomena were experienced in the semi-detached house. This includes tapping, bangs, lights being turned off and on, sudden temperature drops, foul smells, and objects being levitated and thrown. Added to this, however, were some extra special gifts from said poltergeist, which included pools of water that would appear suddenly, um, and the origin of which supposedly confounded all the plumbers. They didn't know where it 
was coming from. Clouds of dust would fall from the ceilings, and then green foam would pour from the taps and the toilet. Heavy furniture was knocked about, and pictures on the walls were slashed. Weird farmyard noises sounded inside the house. I keep thinking about geese honking now, which would be (laughs) terrifying. And an unnerving, heavy breathing was often heard. Thank you. So the locals who lived there would actually often describe the scene that they saw, and they would tell of dark early mornings back then when people would pause on their way to work just to watch the lights flashing on and off in the house. Um, They would stand there and listen to loud bangs that they could hear as they were walking down the street. I'm thinking of a raid. Yeah, that's what them spooks do. But the worst and most celebrated aspect of the haunting was the mysterious black-robed figure which often appeared in 30 East Drive. Many saw the apparition and were present during the poltergeist activity, but Diane, the young girl, was the central witness and would sometimes receive bruises and scratches. And on one occasion, she would grab tightly by the throat and dragged upstairs by her hair. Oh, no. Now, it does raise the question why any person would actually stay in a place with such terrors, right? Because who just gets to move? But apparently, according to Jean Pritchard, she was house proud and she refused to be forced out by a ghost, even if it presumably meant her daughter's death. Thanks, Mom. Anyway, Jean woke one night to find the monk glaring down as it floated over her bed, which would have had most people checking into the nearest hotel, Motel 6, within probably 10 to 12 minutes. But she stuck it out. I feel like that's not accurate. You wouldn't, you wouldn't leave if, if you woke up. How? So, like, how you're going to pay for my down payment on a house? Are Maybe. Gonna, what are you going to do? I know, sue the ghost. I'm just saying. Just saying. So, despite the horror and violence, and this is actually the interesting part of this, so this was a pretty violent apparition, um, but much like many of the other haunted families at the time, they actually gave their ghost a name. And the name was not the Black Monk of Pontefract. <laughs> it was Fred. 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 Oh. Fred, who dragged Diane upstairs by oh, her. Oh, we hair. don't like that. But that reminds me of that movie where Fred is a is it somebody's imaginary friend. Drop dead Fred. Drop dead Fred. Yes. yes. So there was a writer. His name was Tom Cuniff, and he actually managed, according to people who know to identify this dark apparition. And he identified the dark apparition as a 16th century monk who had lived at a nearby Dominican monastery who had been hanged for the rape and murder of a girl about Diane's age. Oh, jeez. So he maintained that this was the reason why the monk was fixated on the youngest of the Pritchard children. Also, the house may or may not have, we don't know, have been built next to the site of the gallows where the monk was executed. Which makes it sound like almost like this is a ghost or a demon and not so much a poltergeist. Yes, it's an interesting interesting kind of distinction. So in 2015, a uh, TV show called Most Haunted Mm -hmm. um, cemented their um, very scientific parapsychologist image by televising a very special live program from East Drive. So they went there, uh, what was that, nine years ago, eight years ago, and they had top investigators, which include Lily Savage, Paula Grady, and then a celebrity, Ryland, who was a drag queen. Um, and they joined the then screaming Yvette Fielding, who's one of the hosts, I believe. So during the investigation, apparently, Yvette and Paul huddled, whimpering in the coal hole, 
which was a pitch black hole. <laughs> the coal hole? The coal hole. The coal hole. Coal hole, which was a pitch black room where heaps of coal were stored uh-huh. before pipe gas arrived into the Checkerfield estate. Um, and then this was located in a flat-roofed extension on the side of the building to the right of the front door. The dark coal store was a scene of terrifying encounters with a monk, purportedly, but unfortunately nothing happened on that night. But people just can't seem to get enough of Yvette's very frightened green face on the night vision camera um, film. Now, what's interesting is just as Amityville was turned into a cinema film, which then became a series of progressively worse films, and one of the authors who I was looking at who was writing about this said, unfortunately, they never had Amityville versus Predator, which probably would have been amazing. Uh, 30 East Drive was actually given a cinema treatment in 2012. <laughs> with a film called When the Lights Went Out. And that was loosely based on the Pontefract hauntings with the names changed, but most of the story intact. Holden, the director, also had a rather large link to the story in that Gene Critchard was his aunt. So he had an actual relationship. And as a child, he experienced some of the things he later brought to the screen. Um, So if you look on Google Earth, you'll actually find a marker on the house that says Pontefract Poltergeist. And this one place is the only one of the famous hauntings that has its own ghost marker. Now, we don't know what actually happened. Obviously, these people don't own the house anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, once they left, it is rumored that the story, that the hauntings ended, right? Mm. Um, But 30 East Drive is actually now a business. So Bill Bungay, who is the producer of When When the Lights Went Out, he actually bought the house after filming, um, bought it for 75,000 pounds, which is pretty cheap. And what they began to do is then allow ghost hunters to spend the night on the premises for a fee. So it's currently 400 pounds for one to four people, no alcohol allowed, and you take your own sleeping bag. So a pretty common ghost hunting scenario. Mm -hmm. So apparently the phenomena, which ceased after the Pritchards left, so they were, it seemed to be, the immediate cause. Which would seem very poltergeisty. Has started again. <gasps> okay. okay. And neighbors and other locals claim that this is probably true, or probably due to the film, that something about the filming reactivated whatever spirit happened to be there. Now, they actually have a picture. I didn't pull it up, but it's actually a picture that was taken in the house of what appears to be the ghost monk's arm reaching around a corner holding rosary beads so there you go proof evidence it was carried in some of the really bad papers in england um now what's very funny is ouija boards are banned from the property during these overnight ghost vigils which is kind of strange because you think if there's ghosts there you would want to talk to them but exorcisms are also banned, which is understandable, right? Because you don't want to exorcise a spirit that's haunting the building that's making you a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. One particular thing, though, if you go to the company's website, um, actually draws your attention. So you spend 400 pounds to spend the night, right? Um, and if you're spending 400 pounds to spend the night at a house that is supposedly haunted, what do you want to experience? A haunting. A haunting. You want to experience ghosts. However... There's a unique service provided by this company's website where you can pay a local medium to cast a spell of protection on you so the spirits won't trouble you. So again, I would think if you're spending 400 pounds, you would want to be troubled by spirits, but this is clearly not the the case. 
And there was an actual testimonial from one of the people who had stayed at the house called Mrs. B. And Mrs. B wrote um, the following, and it's worth quoting directly. Please do. Uh, protection spells available. If you're concerned about your visit, you can have a protection spell performed to you by a local medium. The cost 10 pounds per person is very comforting indeed. Okay. Her review said this. Perhaps it was a protection spell we received, but we felt safer than we expected during our visit and ended up having a very good night's sleep. Oh. Mrs. B. <laughs> Mrs. B. So, I mean, it's not a very detailed story. Um, I tried to find a lot more, and there's actually books written about this, whole books written about the Black Monk uh, Pontefract, but I didn't find much in terms of, like, deep dive kind of accessibility on the internet, and I wasn't going to purchase a book, airship it here, and read it in the 25 minutes I had before what? the podcast started. What? Not because I don't love you, patrons, because I do loves you, but... Um, and we love those of you who just listen. But what's very interesting... Um, is I think we do kind of keep running up against what is the distinction between what things might be haunting or troubling people. Mm-hmm. You know, between demons, between ghosts, between the entity, whatever that might be, right? Mm-hmm. Between poltergeists. Because even poltergeists, right? It wasn't really poltergeists, right? Because poltergeist was really all the bad things that happened from them burying the bodies. Well, moving the headstones went out, moving yeah. the bodies and the building houses on top. And there's probably a Native American burial ground involved in that, too. So my question to you, friend Dr. Evan, is this. If you're at home, okay, mm-hmm. you're watching telly, mm-hmm. okay, and you hear a noise that sounds like a saucer cracking, mm-hmm. snap, what would you do? Honestly? Honestly. I'd go see where the heck it was, was okay. and then be like, how? Okay, so you would just naturally assume... That it fell down. Yeah. And I wouldn't know how. Do you have a saucer? Yeah. For like a teacup? I have many teacups. That's so fancy. I drink tea. Wow. I do too, but out of mugs. I have some China teacups. Oh, no, I, I drink have, out of mugs. I have Royal Albert teacups. <laughs> you know what they say about Prince Albert in a can. No, we do not. <laughs> you let him out. Do not repeat this. That's a joke. It's no joke. Do you have Prince Albert in a can? Yes? Well, then let him out. I'm tired of you and your dad jokes. That is a great joke. So anyway, uh, dearest listeners, we would love to hear from you. There are tons and tons of spooky things out there that we know nothing about, but would love to spend our time reading about and learning about to share with all of you. And Captain, if we might make a direct appeal. Yes. We will get to something. Yes. We will have a long talk. Probably we'll have the long talk after you listen to this podcast. Because I'm going to go visit the captain soonish. <laughs> so, um, because we like these ideas, but sometimes if it's for listeners, we like your stories, or in particular, you know, if it's like one sighting, that's cool. It's interesting. Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Things that we could talk about for a longer episode would yes. be really cool. Yes. Um, but. We do want to say some thank yous. Yes, but before that... Oh, sorry. I would like to make an appeal. Okay. Oh. Every Halloween, we do a special Halloween episode. Mm-hmm. And we would really love for your recommendations about what we should do. Yes, because the last couple of years, we've told spooky stories. Spooky stories from the internet. But, you know, what do you want us to do? Yes. 
that made it sound more like, what the heck do you want us to do? Hey. Um, but it, I mean more in like, what would you enjoy? Yes. Right, and this would be a special episode that would just be a Halloween thing. So do you just want us to talk about this? I know what we need to do. What? I got it. What? Listeners, back me up. I think the best episode would be a live camping podcast. Turn it off. Turn it off. <laughs> Turn it off. We're done. Podcast over. Tonight. Forever. Just put that in your cross. <laughs> no. You can want it all you want, people. I love you, but I am not sleeping outside. That's where all the ghosts are. Ghosts with the most, baby. Patrons. Patrons. We don't have an official Patreon, but um, as we mentioned in the last podcast, which you'll hear eventually. Um, hey, hey, is that, is that a dig? No, not at all. <laughs> Kick off some thank yous. I very much want to thank the Philosophaster. The Moth Mistresses. The creepiest of the Crawl Space Girls. The Captain. Uh, always the Captain. And uh, my least favorite patron, because I never hear from them anymore, Apple Pie. But we love you. We love um, you. Book Nerd. Uh, Book Nerd's great. Uh, the Bootlegger. Money Penny. The Jet. Ghost Whisperer. I lost my place on the list. Gypsy Queen. And Ghosted. Yes, we think that's all of you. If we missed you, we didn't really miss you, because we always miss you. It was not intentional. So until such time as we haunt again, our spookiest of friends, stay spooky. <laughs> I thought... We were going someplace real cool. I don't know where I was going. I don't know either, but I was excited for it. I was alone. I know. But, it sounded good at the beginning. Um, um stay spooky. Amuck, amuck, amuck. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just adding things. Bye. Bye. So until such time as we haunt again, our spookiest of friends, stay spooky. I thought, thought we were going someplace real cool. I don't know where I was going. I don't know either, but I was excited for it. I was alone. I know. But, it sounded good at the um, beginning. Um, stay spooky. Amuck, amuck, amuck. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just adding things. Bye. Bye.